So last week we, we started a new series, and as I said um, when we started this series, and that, that the topic that we're on, you know, there's a lot of things that I, I really, it's just deep down in your heart, you know what I mean? You know, righteousness and, and who we are in Christ and our identity in Christ and, and grace and understanding grace and, and, and just understanding the new birth and the new creation and, and trying to walk out everything that God has created us to be. I mean, that, that's easy to preach. But sometimes there's topics that may, aren't, aren't as easy. And, and probably the biggest issue is because I don't keep focused on those, these issues. But even though they might not be easy to preach, they need to be said. It needs to be preached. Amen? And we started this series last week of One Nation, One Nation Under God. And, and last, last week we, we looked at what is a right. We found out what is a right. And we, and we found that a right is, is something that is given to us by our Creator. Right? It's given to us by someone of absolute, of highest authority. Because if rights come from government, that means that what? Government can take your rights. If, if rights come from the masses, guess what that means? Like, like democracy. We're all going to vote. This is going to be a right. That means that the masses can take away your rights. Right? Rights have to come from something outside of humanity. And they come from nature and nature's God. They come from our Creator. And, and, and so we learn what a right is. And, and you have the right to speech, but you don't have a right to a printing press or a TV station. You have a right to bear arms to protect your family and your home, but you don't have a right to a gun. The government's not going to hand out guns to everybody. See, a lot of people get, get confused with what a right is and what a good is. A good is a product or service. Education, you have a right to an education, but you do not have a right to be given an education. Why? Because that's a good or service. And you would have to enslave teachers to give that to them free. To give education away free, you would have to enslave a teacher. And, and slavery is immoral, correct? Well, you're thinking, well, we would never enslave teachers. We would never enslave teachers. No, we don't enslave teachers. What we do is we enslave other individuals and take their goods that they worked, worked for and pay teachers. So when we say... I have a right. I have a right to health care. I have a right to education. I have a right to a good home. I have a right to a high-paying job. Those are goods. And the only way that you can have a right to a good is by enslaving other individuals. So whenever you hear someone talk about these rights that are actually goods, what, what they're actually promoting is slavery. And slavery is not loving your neighbor. Amen? Amen. And we've seen that they come from God. And, and this week I'm going to start off with a joke. You probably, you probably heard of it. I heard it. You know, I used to be a great joke teller. 
Now, now I'm, I'm, I'm not very good. My wife says I'm terrible at telling jokes. And I think the reason is because is now I get about halfway through the joke and I think, maybe I shouldn't be saying this joke. I think, that, that's, I think that's my problem. But this one's okay. This one's okay. So, so this group of scientists got together, and they put their heads together, and, 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 and they do experiments and stuff like this. They came out and declared to the world that we have the ability to create life. We have the ability to create life. And, and, and they declare we no longer need a God because we now are the creator. We can create life. And they put it out there. God, if you want to show up and, and have a, and we're here, you want to show up and, and, and see what we're able to do and, and, and so we can say goodbye to you, that, that would be great. And guess what happened? God says, I'll show up. So they showed up and all the news was there. Everybody was around it. It was like the, the uh, um, standoff at the OK Corral. And he, God says, so let me see. Let me see you create life. And the scientists reach down and they grab a handful of dirt. And God says, whoa, whoa. What are you doing? That's my dirt. Go get your own dirt. We'll get back to that. So as we're in, in this, there, there's certain things that, because of my own ignorance, that I have even said in the, pa in the past. Um, I'm very open with you guys that my shortcomings and failures. Um, and one of them is, is, is this phrase, well, you can't legislate morality. You can't legislate morality. And I actually have, have, have said that. And most of the time I've said it basically parent, parroting what I've heard others say. And, it, and it, gets, it comes from this concept, especially in the church, that the church doesn't need to be involved in culture, our community, um, in politics, all of these things, because all we need to do is preach the gospel, because the gospel is the only thing that changes hearts. right? Now, understand, the gospel is the only thing that can cause the new creation and, and, and to be birthed in an individual. Right? It's the only thing that can make a dead spirit alive. It's the only thing that can make you one, one with God. It's the only thing that can give you new want-tos from within. Right? But the heart, the heart is something different. The heart is not your spirit. The heart is the core of your, your being. It's basically where your soul, your mind, will, and emotions, and your spirit connect. Your spirit connects. So if you have a dead spirit... In your mind, will, and emotions of this world, it produces death, right? But if you have a live spirit, and your mind, and your soul, and your will has been, been um, renewed through the Word of God to line up with who you are in your spirit, it produces life in, in your life. But the problem is, for lots of us, we have a born-again spirit, but our minds haven't been totally renewed, and that's where that inner war comes. That inner war comes. comes. So i got to stay on this, not that. But just so, so you understand this. And, a, and after actually um, studying this out, this statement out, I, I found that this statement is false. 
the statement is false. When people say you can't, you can't legislate morality, you should stop and ask them if this is true. If you can't legislate morality, give me one example of a law that is not based on a moral value. And if they get stuck like you guys are right now, you can say, how about murder? Thou shall not murder. Wait, I guess, I guess that's based on a moral value. Or you can, say, you can suggest laws that forbid stealing or lying. But wait, those, those are based on a, a set of moral values too. And how about a law on wearing your, your seatbelt? Is that based on a moral value? Well, the law is designed to save lives, so it's saying that lives are valuable, right? So I guess that's t- that also is based on a moral, a moral value. So when people, like I used to, make the statement that you can't legislate morality, it only shows their lack of understanding and ignorance. See, we do legislate little but morality. Show me a law that is not based on some sort of moral value. There isn't one. Like it's illegal to beat someone over the head with a large stick while kicking them in the shins. This, that would be a law against it being immoral to do so, right? It's illegal to speed. It's, a, it's illegal to lie in business. It's illegal to pollute. These are all based on some moral value. What is it if it's not imposing, imposing and legislating a moral value? It, that's, all, that's all our laws do. The truth is, is that we can, we can and do legislate morality. And we do impose on others all the time. We're imposing a morality on people all the time. We cannot fail to do so. But here's the big question. The big question is, Whose morality should we legislate? Yours? Should it be my, my morality? Should it be Mother Teresa's? Or how about this guy's? No. <laughs> See, the correct answer is none of them. It's none of them. We should legislate the law of nature and nature's God. His morality. Christ has called us to love our neighbors and to care for them. We care for our neighbors in many ways. One of them is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. The good news of salvation. That you have been accepted in Christ. I can't get off on that again. The, the, other, the other is to provide charity and, and, and to help our fellow man. But as we discussed last week, the one other way that we are to love our neighbors is by being concerned with what kind of laws they live under. Does it enslave them? Or does it free them? Does it oppress them? Or does it give them liberty? We are to care for the laws that protect their rights. That's how you can, you can love your neighbors. So given that, 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 so given that, who should we nominate? Who, who should be the one we hire to legislate 
morality in our nation. Who are the ones that do that? Have you ever asked yourself, why do we have politicians? Why do we elect politicians for? What, what do we elect them for? Why do we have them at all? What is their job? Do they run, they, do they run the country? Somewhat, but not really because we have a president that we hired to do that. We could just have a president to run the country. Why do we have, why do we elect our representatives and our senators? We elect them to make laws. We elect them to make laws, to legislate morality. We call them what? Law makers. And that's what they have been doing, perhaps been doing too much, and maybe not legislating true moralities. In Romans chapter 13, verse 1, it says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Now understand something. He's not talking, this is not talking about individual people in authority. This is talking about governments themselves. God is not a God of chaos. He's a God of order, right? Even, and I have a hard time even saying this, even a communistic government is better than anarchy. Where it's the Wild West and anything goes. and God created governments. But that does not mean that all governments are created equal. <laughs> Understand that? And God, even though God is the one that appointed authorities, he doesn't always point the people in those places of authority. There are many times in the Bible where it says that God gives, gives the people their own desires. Right? Right? So, so when you read this, this is talking about honoring the office, honoring government, honoring, honoring um, uh, order, not chaos, in the institution. But that doesn't mean that in the, they're not evil people that are brought into these institutions. And that's why we are to pray for those in these institutions. Right? We are to pray that the gospel of Jesus Christ may be freely preached. Right? So anyways, let me continue. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not to terror, for the rulers are not to, not a terror to good works, but to evil. So our rulers are to stand against evil in our country, evil in our, in our nation, evil that is coming against the people. Do you want to be unafraid of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to your good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. So when we talk about being 
politicians, being politicians or being political, we're not talking about the smoozers. We're not talking about those that are in it for the power or self, selfish fame. We're talking about law, the lawmakers that are speaking out loudly against evil men, even if they are our rulers. Right? Even, even, if, there are, even if there are rulers, we're supposed to speak out against evil. We're supposed to be speaking out against evil laws. We're supposed to be taking action against evil men and eliminating evil laws. We are to be making just laws and appointing impartial judges, ensuring that justice is served, making sure that the people are not oppressed, ensuring that true equality in opportunity is given regardless of results. That everybody has the same opportunity. That's a right. That we all have the same opportunity. That's a right. But we don't have a right to equal outcomes. We don't have a right to equal outcomes. That every person is free to achieve their greatest potential. We're talking about lawmakers who look forward into the future and realize how a law today could damage an entire nation by undermining the family structure. We, we, we not, we're not talking about popularity or self-promotion. We're talking about getting involved as servant leaders, not leader kings. We're talking about lawmakers that legislate in line with the laws of nature and nature's God. But we also say other ignorant things. <laughs> we say things like, you know, Christians should not be involved in politics. Or whenever the church gets involved in politics, it ends in failure. It always backfires. It never works. Do you know William Wilberforce? Wilberforce spent almost 40 years as a Christian convicted that slavery was evil. Trying to impose God's morality on the, on the British to ban slavery. He finally succeeded and the abolition movement came to the United States. Because a Christian, because the church got involved in politics. Because the church pushed its morality on the culture. How about this little piece of history? The only reason that it's against the law to kidnap your wife and compel her to marry, marry you is because a Christian decided that that practice in Northern Europe had to stop and decided to impose his morals on others. Amen, women? <laughs> Has Christian involvement really failed? Or is it just that we've never studied history? 
The only reason kids aren't forced to work in sweatshops is because a Christian named Lord Shaftesbury decided to impose what he thought was God's morality on the population. You know, there's some countries that still oppress their children like this. Have you ever heard or seen this argument, maybe on social media? Keep your religion out of my bedroom. What two consenting adults do in the privacy of their own home is none of your business. Have you ever heard that? Okay, let's dissect this statement. First, where did you get the idea that it had to be adults? Why not kids? For thousands of years, nobody cared if a kid and adults did something. It wasn't until the Christian religion, the very thing that you're trying to eliminate, jumped into the very same bedroom that we all agreed it had to be adults. Consenting. Where'd you get this idea from? Because in, in Roman culture, in many other cultures, especially if you were in a higher, higher station in, in, in culture, felt no need to have consenting partners in the bedroom or out the be- of the bedroom. It wasn't until Christianity declared the equality of mankind that, that consenting became a requirement. Privacy. Third, why, why do you think it has to be private? I mean, we have some praise today in the, in the U.S. that think it's fine to do anything you want and, and, and shoot movies about it as they're doing it. It's the Christians who said that sexuality should be kept private. Two. Two. Why is it just two people? Why is it not three or four like in Islam? Or many other cultures like Rome and and, and even some today that think it could be three, five, or ten. It's Christians who said it should be only two. You You get the point? It seems that our religion is already in your bedroom. Our religion is already in your bedroom, buddy. You invited it with this statement. This very statement says you've already invited our morality into your bedroom. So get your own dirt. Get your own dirt, just like the joke I started out with. Get your own morality. Stop borrowing from Christian morality. Stop borrowing from God. Stop using God's capital. Get your own dirt. This dirt is God's. So anybody who says Christians have failed, when they've gotten involved in politics, is saying slavery, racism, segregation, kidnapped brides, child labor, gladiatorial combats, death games, 
infanticide, child marriage, temple prostitution, child sexual abuse, child prostitution, wives as property. And if, and if it weren't for, 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 for us, the world would be, would, there would be no fair treatment of prisoners. Do you know the whole prison system started from the church? Why would the church start a prison system? It's because before the prison system, they chopped your hand off for stealing. They hung you on the gallows. They put you in the stocks. And Christianity said no to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news of who they are, their identity in Christ. These people, they can be, they can be changed. They can be discipled. They can be not, a, not, not a, a danger to society, but actually be a blessing to society. And we let the government take that over too. And it's failed. Just like the, the church started Harvard, Yale, all these Ivy League schools were sent to go out and spread the gospel throughout the world. And we let, let them take those over. We let them take over our education system. The churches are the ones that started all the education systems. How's that going? Churches are the ones that started hospitals. Most of the churches, think about the names of the hospitals. St. Mary's, St. Joe's, Covenant. All these names, all these names that have to do with Christianity. How's the healthcare systems working? You know, even the symbol for the health, for for uh, the medical profession, the staff with a serpent wrapped around it. Where do you think that comes from? Jesus says, "As Moses le- lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so too the Son of Man must be lifted up." And what happened in the wilderness? There was a Pestilence of serpents, they were, snakes were biting everybody and people were dying. And anybody that looked to that, that serpent on that pole was healed. Everything, almost everything in this country that was started by the church. I mean, equality and, 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 and of mankind, it all comes from, from the church. So are you really sure you want to take this stance? That when the church gets involved in politics, it backfires, it fails, it never works. Well, history says you can't. We Christians were worried about animal cruelty before PETA ever existed. Imagine what it would be like for those Christian, if those Christians would have had to say, oh, we shouldn't get involved in worldly things. It's none of our business. What would this world be like if Christians didn't get involved in their culture? If Christians didn't get involved in their government? If Christians didn't push their morality on the world? I mean, if God really wants to, in superstitious Murdering of twins in Africa. You know that's a thing? Because of superstition, whenever there's 
twins? They murder one of the twins? Or they murder the twins? Out of superstition? I mean, if, if, if God really wanted that to end, he'd end it. We just need to preach the gospel. Even atheists should want Christian in politics. Why? Because even an atheist, I would hope, would think that slavery is not a good idea. That child labor and child marriage and bride, bridal kidnapping should be illegal. And they all came to pass because of Christians. We could go on, we could go on, we could go on. See, see, there are thousands of laws in all Christian and post-Christian cultures that were based on the moral values of Christians who were involved in politics. The same societies that now assume that all those values are self-evident and ignore, they ignore the people who brought those just and moral laws into existence. All of these laws took years and years and no, numerous heartbreaking tries to implement them, and they, came, and they only came about because Christians took a stance politically, legally, judici judicially, yeah, you can say it, and just as important financially. And, you, and don't forget about all these laws that, were, that originally were fought against and rejected over and over again by those very same societies that later embraced them as their ideals. Even in Roman society, even when the Roman society turned Christian through Constantine in 313 AD, it was still legal to kill any baby you didn't want, especially if it was a baby girl. It took a full 61 years till 374 AD before a pastor, a preacher, a man of God, Emperor Valentinia, or um, Bishop Basil of Caesarea was able to convince politician Emperor Valentinia to outlaw infanticide. So don't tell me that Christians' involvement in politics and changing laws always fails. Go to, tell that to Bishop Basil. And remember this, both England and the U.S. were probably two of the most Christian nations in the world at the time, and they were both still practicing slavery. The gospel was preached over and over in these two nations. But until men and women of God got up and went and changed the laws, slavery continued. The gospel must be preached, but it also must result in actions of changing the laws of our society. So when someone says Christians in the church should not be involved in making or changing laws, I ask you this question. What kind of heartless, cruel, selfish per person would not get involved in making laws?
What kind of person would not care that slaves were being kidnapped, that children were being murdered, that children were being murdered, that children were being married, that people were being exterminated, that animals were being abused? And here's the scary thing. The scary thing, and, I, and, I, and I, I, I'm very cautious of throwing this, these types of similarities out because it happens far too often, but this is the truth in history. In Nazi Germany, when true Christ-following Christians stopped being involved in politics, their laws changed back to the barbaric ones. So it's, it's not my place to tell you who you are to vote for. It might not even be my place to tell you what, what to vote for. My job and the job of the church is to teach you the heart of God concerning these moral issues so that we can be imitators of God, so we can live the blessed life. Why? Because the, God, the, the laws that God has given humanity aren't there to curse us, but to bless us. We are the ones that pervert them. We are the ones that rebel against them. And, and, and we are the ones why the world is the way that it is. So many people say, if God is love, why is the world this way? Go look in the mirror. But our job is to teach you the heart of God. To teach you to discern between God's values and man's values, to teach you how to discern between men and women of character and men and women of deceit. Then having equipped you, my job is to encourage you to get out and defend, to elect, to uphold the values that you want your children to grow up under. Have you ever been told that it's wrong to force your, your moral values on others? Have you ever heard that? It's not, it's not right for you to, to force your moral values on me, right? As Christians a lot who think that it's important, important to, as Christians who think that it's important to change laws, we will run into statements like this. So what I want to do is I want to teach you how to respond. But first, let me teach you what a suicide statement is. Does anybody know what a suicide statement is? A suicide, a suicide statement is a statement that kills itself just by saying it. <laughs> it, it. It's a statement that is refuting itself. For instance, if I say, I cannot speak a lick of English, and I say it in English, guess what? It's dead. It's a dead statement. It's not true, right? It's a suicide statement. If I, if I utter, if I utter, if I say, um, my twin brother is an only child, right? It doesn't make any sense. So I want to teach you how to refute a couple suicide statements like this. And, and, and hopefully by teaching you this, you can, you can, you can see, you can pick those out and, and, and it stops the conversation immediate, immediately. It's wrong to force your moral values on others. Does anybody see why this is a suicide statement? 
If someone ever says this to you, if they, you should immediately ask them, why, why not? Why is it wrong? And they'll, they'll, they'll say to you, in effect, because it's not right. And then you say to them, but wait, isn't that your moral value? Isn't that your moral value? Why are you imposing that moral value on me? Whenever someone tells you it's wrong to do something, what they've just stated is a moral declaration. The person who says, who says you shouldn't force your moral values on others is doing exactly what he or she says you should not be doing. So what's the answer? Well, of course it's right. It's, of course it's right to impose your moral values on others. It's right. If they are true moral values. In fact, you, cannot, you, you can't fail to, to, to impose your moral values on others. All law, laws are, are someone's moral values. The issue, the issue is, as we said before, Whose moral values are we going to impose? Are we going to impose Hitler's? Or are we going to impose Mother Teresa's? Or somebody else's? How about this suicide statement? If someone says, there is no absolute truth. How do you respond to this? I'm sorry. Is that true? I'm sorry, is that true? You see that? When they say a truth, this is truth, that there is no truth. How, how's that possible? But whose truth? There can be only one truth. And where does truth come from? It comes the same, from the same place that rights come from, from our Creator. As believers, you should you need to be an expert on recognizing suicidal statements. We hear them every day. They, many illogical arguments can be defeated in a few sentences if you recognize how they're dead as soon as they say them, that they're, they're suicide statements. In fact, the... the the advantage of teaching everybody about suicide statements is that it helps our opponents to think clearly. See, it's not about winning an argument. It's about getting the other person to think. Because they're a lot like Christians. They just say what they've heard. They don't think. This is a church where you need to think. <laughs> right? I know it. I know it. Scary to think, but 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 when you when you when you defeat it, de, de, defeat that statement, it causes them to have to have to think, and when they, when they have to think, all of a sudden they're faced with reality and the truth. And once they start thinking, and you start thinking, everybody's better off, right? Then we have the progressive Christian version of the statement. It's wrong to force your moral values on others. They say we can't hold 
non-Christians to biblical morals. Oh, really? Let's see what Paul's advice is on the subject. In 1 Timothy, he's writing to a young pastor in verse, or chapter 1, verse 8, it says, but we know that the law is good if someone uses it lawfully. So there's a good way to use the law, right? Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person. Have you been made righteous by the, through Jesus Christ? Are you the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus? So guess what? The law is not made for you. But it's, it, the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and the insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and the profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mother, for manslavers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which is committed to my trust. You notice that the gospel is a lot more than say a prayer and going to heaven? Contrary to the sound doctrine of the gospel. The gospel is a lot more than saying a prayer and going to heaven. So who does the law say that the law was made for? Who does God say that the law is made for? Is it made for the righteous? No. God says the law was made for the, the not made for the righteous, but it was made for murderers. It was made for fornicators. It was made for sodomites, kidnappers. That, that's slave traders. Liars and any other thing that is contrary, contrary to sound doctrine. This is your answer to the objection that we can't hold non-Christians to biblical morals. Now, of course, unbelievers won't easily be convinced of this. But Christians, we believers, have no excuse to think otherwise. How many times have you heard it said, ah, oh, yeah, but, but laws don't change hearts. Laws don't change hearts. The idea here is that we should just be focusing, we shouldn't be focusing, we should not be focusing on changing the laws of, of the land because it doesn't work. Instead, we should just witness to people and Christ will change their hearts. We just need to preach the gospel. Then over time, we'll see justice. When people say this, ask them if this is an idea that they came up with on their own or after they have done some study and some research. Or, or are they just merely repeating something they heard someone else say? We're, now, like I said before, we're not talking about changing uh, your, your spirit to be born again and to accept Christ and becoming a new creation, a child of God and filled with the Holy Spirit. Only God and Jesus and Holy Spirit can do that. We're talking about laws that can influence your views and change your beliefs and thus bring about behavior and social changes. So take a look at this picture right here. Have you... Does anybody know who that is? 
I didn't think you'd know. This is Britney Spears. What is she doing? She's driving with her baby on her lap, right? A couple years ago, everybody went crazy on social media for this. They were outraged. They were calling for her death. They were saying what a horrible parent she was. There's whole bloggers on this whole thing. That her children should be taken away from her. Know how I grew up? I'd jump from one seat to the other. Right? I'd be bouncing in the back. I'd be looking out the back window. I mean, if you think about it, if, if you think about it, there was, a, there was a time that there were car seats, but no one used them. Why? Because there wasn't a law to enforce it. I mean, I grew, I grew up, I, I grew up when they first brought wearing your seatbelt into a law. And we rebelled against it. We didn't want it. I tell you what, you get in the car now and not have your seatbelt on when you're driving, my kids think, like, I did the most horrible thing in the world. What? (laughs) I mean, think about this. If, if, If you go back, you go back 20 years, People would say, well, how else is this mother supposed to get their shopping done? How else is the mother supposed to get around town with their children? How else? And, and people would actually look at her and say, how awesome this rock star is spending time with her children. <laughs> how much things have changed. Why have they changed? Because of a law. So here's a law that once it was in the books, not only changed our children's hearts, but it also changed many adults' hearts. We've seen this just recently. All of 2020. And it did so in less than 15 years. Now was that now was that previous moral act was it evil? People's moral attitudes had changed, society had changed, behaviors have changed. Laws do change hearts. And while in some cases it may not change your heart, it sure will change the hearts of your children and your children's children. The law may not change the hearts of the ones under whom it's first legislated, but it will certainly change the hearts of the ones that grew up knowing only it. As a, as a choir just recently sung, we're coming for your children. Well, some Christians may not think that laws change hearts, in mine, that's not what Ivy League universities like Harvard and Yale think because they, they have been teaching a coursework and giving out PhDs in the role of laws in achieving cultural transformation 
for years. Proverbs 22, 6 says, Train up a child in the way it should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. This is talking about tra training up in the ways of the Lord, but the thing of it is, this is truth no matter, tr no matter what. No matter what you train your child up into, he will not depart from it. Why do, we have laws, why do you have laws in your home? Why, why do you teach your children rules? Why do you say, little Johnny, don't hit Sally over the head with the wiffle ball bat? That's wrong. That's immoral. That's wicked. Not nice. Bad. Evil. Unjust. And naughty. Are you hoping to terrorize your child into obeying only when you're around to catch them? And once they leave home, you believe that they'll become rude, crude, and never again say thank you or I'm sorry? Are you hoping that the rules, the laws you teach them today will change their hearts and cause them to embrace those guidelines and cause them to imitate? Cause them to live in imitation of them. Don't we want to see this happen with our kids as they get older? I mean, why do you make your kids brush their teeth? At first, they hate it, right? You hate it when you're a kid. I don't want to brush my teeth. But now I can't start my day or go to bed without. The laws and rules and regulations the discipline, the, the discipline, it's what changes them. It's what changes them. Do laws and rules discipline and change hearts? Of course they do. Martin Luther King Jr. said, The fact is that the habits, if not the hearts of men, have been and are being changed every day by federal action." We know that, the ha that habits change, will change us. Our habits will change us. And when our habits change, they change our hearts. But here's the tragedy. Just as a good law changes hearts of kids who grow up, up under it to good, a bad law can change the hearts of generations of children in elementary school today towards immorality tomorrow today the good new the, today the good laws say that say that same sex marriage is illegal and immoral or it used to right if the law of the land changes which it has we see that we see our own children despite what we tell them what god says and despite the physical and statistical Evidence will reject moral laws of God and have their hearts changed by the moral laws of the land. They will come to believe in, embrace, and celebrate same-sex marriage. And as some of the statistics indicate, assume that institution of marriage is meaningless altogether. They will ignore the fact that the law given by God is given for their safety and for their health. Health. So what is the natural conclusion to all this? 
We only legislate morality. We elect politicians to legislate that morality. And through that, peop and through that people have changed the world for good through, through political means. So that we have, so we have to impose some key godly moral and values on others. Amen. Are we going to sit by and let immorality become the laws of our land? Are we going to let our children be brainwashed by bad laws? Are we going to draw a line in the sand and say enough is enough? And we're going to exercise our rights as Americans to do our God-ordained duty as a father, a mother, to protect our children. The decision you make, the decision that we make today will impact your children and your children's children for years to come. Amen or oh my. So as you see, there's a, there's a lot of things that maybe this is new to you. Maybe, maybe you've never thought it from this way. Maybe you were like me and, and you just parroted a lot of things that you, you've heard. And you can see that, that, that God, the church, is the only hope for the world. Jesus Christ in the gospel, the full gospel, the full gospel of his kingdom is the only hope for the world. And that means you. You're the hope of the world. You're the hope of your world. You're the hope of your family. You're the hope of your community. You're the hope, you're the hope of your workplace. You're, you're, you are Christ's ambassador. You are his representative. And as you know, it's not about going in and, and causing condemnation and guilt on people, but it's about showing them a better way. And how God, each one of us has God, had God transform our life. We're not who we used to be. And we have not arrived. But we reach forward in Christ Jesus. We are constantly becoming more and more like Him in our minds and in our flesh. We're already like Him in our spirits. And guess what happens? Some of us are going to get further along than others. And one day, in a twinkling of an eye, we'll all become just like Him. Amen? Amen. You've been listening to a message from Karis New Testament Church. For more information or to contact us, go to www.karisntc.org. And remember, you are deeply loved, highly favored, and destined to reign in Christ Jesus.